Hey guys, my name's Echo Kellum. I play Curtis Hall, aka Miss Terrific, on CW Arrow, and you're listening to Neil Before Pot. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another friendly neighbourhood edition of Neil Before Pod. I'm your host Craig McKenzie, and I've assembled a team to discuss the latest reboot of everyone's favourite web slinger, this time brought to us through the power of Sony and Marvel corporate synergy. I am of course referring to the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe outing, Spider-Man Homecoming. Well, I've got Chris. Hello. And Aaron. Aye aye. <laughs> that was a long pause before you said my name, as if it was like a massive interruption. Oh, well. Didn't seem like it for mine, but whatever. How is everybody? It's the first time I've been called a massive interruption. (laughs) (laughs) How is everybody? I am fed and watered. I have had my microwave meal from a motorway services off the M90, so I'm now powered and ready to go for the podcast. Good. You're going to be full of future ammo worms come tomorrow. (laughs) Here's hoping. (laughs) And Aaron, how are you? Well, I'm alright. I didn't prepare any joke, though, so I guess I'm less humorous this evening than Chris. Ah. Well, it's not really a joke, it was just an anecdote about something that actually happened, so... He got worms? (laughs) Well, he got something from a motorway services station, which is the next best thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's, that's another one on the list of who won't be sponsoring the podcast in the future. What, the motorway services off the M90 at Ken Ross? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Among others. Oh well. We'll manage. We tried. Uh, yeah, so Spider Man Homecoming. We have a new Spider Man film. We have a new Spider Man. We have more Spider Man. Um we've all seen it. I certainly have. Um And we may have some thoughts about it. So first of all I'll kind of gauge Spider-Man's a character who's been about a bit. He's quite popular. Uh, lots of people know who he is. So what's kind of your guys' connection to him? You know, what, what have you seen before? What kind of do you like about him? Have you not liked? Uh, what have I seen before? Well, I've seen the previous two film collections. And I have seen... Uh, spectacular Spider-Man cartoon series recently, and there was there must have been a cartoon series I watched as a kid, but I can't now. So many years later, remember which one that will be. So it'll be something in about late 80s. Maybe maybe the Spider-Man aficionados can tell me what that must have been. There was one in the 80s. Um, you might know the 60s one for the song more than anything else. I don't think I know. It. I bet I do know the song. I've definitely heard the song, but yeah. Uh, or the the ever popular sixty Spider Man meme that kicks about, which is hilarious. It's my favourite meme. Oh right. Uh, <laughs> I'm a bit more disconnected to Spider Man than you, then definitely because I've, I've definitely I'm not seen that. You have to send it to me. With me, Spider Man is one of the few comics that I read or have read <laughs> properly and sort of know a little bit of the canon. A little bit more. I'm not a massive comic book reader, which I know is probably sacrilege for this podcast. But, um, yeah, Spider-Man's one of the few that I kind of read and enjoy and, and sort of catch up with. Um, a bit like Aaron, I've, I've sort of watched the previous films and 
um, and enjoyed them and done that. I've not watched a lot of the cartoon. I've not watched a load of the cartoons, but I have um, I have enjoyed the films when I've seen them. Cool. My connection to Spider-Man goes back a long, long time. Um, my uncle kind of probably, it was probably my uncle anyway, it's bound to be, got me into him. I was reading kind of the old 60s comics when I was a kid. Loved them. Stan Lee, Steve Ditko's Spider-Man comics, just amazing, amazing stuff. I mean, they're very dated now, but there's still something about them that's that's very charming. Um, I, at the same time as doing that, because growing up in the 90s, I was watching the 90s cartoon, which is excellent. Even to this day, it holds up pretty well. It takes a lot of the major arcs from the comics and is pretty faithful to them. Um, I managed to interview John Semper, the showrunner, which is, you know, dream come true for me. So that was brilliant. I've seen most of the cartoons, I think. I mean, the 80s one that Aaron was talking about, I've only seen bits and pieces of, but I watched Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, which is just ludicrous and, and bizarre, but it's quite fun. Um, Spectacular Spider-Man. Can't recommend it enough. Probably the best version of them, including this film, uh, outside of the comics. And I've seen all the films as well. Um, I haven't seen the Japanese Spider-Man, though, where he rides around a mech robot or something like that. But apparently nice. that's a lot of fun. So, uh, but yeah, the previous versions, Raimi films, classics. You know, they they're what brought the superhero genre back into the the modern consciousness and and made people kind of excited about them. And in a lot of ways, it's probably the grandfather to the cinem- Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the Andrew Garfield films, uh, I think they have their moments, but generally they're probably better better binned. So yeah. Deep connection to Spider-Man on the, from this crowd. I had forgotten Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, because that's Iceman and Firestar, isn't it? That's right, yeah. I remember that now. <laughs> I think as a kid, I thought that was amazing. I can't remember anything about it now, but I'm sure I liked it as a kid. Where he lived in an apartment with Iceman and Firestar for some reason. And like sure, well, no, that makes sense visit. when you're a kid. Adults <laughs> live together, that's the way it's done. Yeah. And like Aunt May comes to visit for some reason. And uh, yeah. Um, oh, I've also read a lot of the, the modern comics, so I'm a little bit behind. I've fallen behind of late. But, yeah. Spider-Man everywhere. Played video games, everything. Brilliant. Yeah. So, that's um, that was quite a lengthy love letter to Spider-Man from me. So, let's get on to this film. Uh, this is our third version of Spider-Man on the big screen in about 15 years. Which is mental when you think about it. But, um, what are the kind of spoiler-free thoughts on this film this is uh, within my top six of uh, spider-man films from recent years <laughs> um it's uh, <laughs> it's um no i yeah yeah <laughs> I, I had to sit and do a tally chart earlier on to work that joke out um yeah i um i i really enjoyed it actually i think it's one of the best portrayals of the peter parker side of the character um, I love the fact that it's tied into the MCU. It's exactly where he should have been as soon as the MCU was created. Sony should have went, okay, we give up, we give you him. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a, a sort of good little step forward. It's, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I think I wouldn't have welcomed this film unless they, without it being in the MCU, actually. I think the, the number of Spider Man reboots we've had, the number of cartoons there are. There's, yeah, it, it was it was it was too many, and the idea that somebody could put another film in to something that was already out too many would have seemed ludicrous without an angle. They got the angle. I think it worked. 
and I was pleased to see him him in this film. I think that you're you're right. It's seeing him as a as a proper kid is definitely then one of the best parts of it. But even that, I wonder if it would have worked for me without that that invite that we got through through the other films. The only thing that stood out for me, uh, that I probably didn't notice, that's not positive, or, uh, although I can't, I can't quite put my right description on it, is there's been a lot of chat online about the, the diversity issues that have been in the film. And I, I don't know that it's bad, but I, it's just been such a big deal on the internet that kind of associated this film with those. Can't really, can't really get them out of my mind, man. I, um, I dare say we'll come on to that when we talk about the, uh, the film in the spoiler section. Um, for me, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I think it's one of the more disposable entries in the in the MCU, as in... I, I'm not saying that you can like, just not watch it, but also it's... Um, you know, it, it doesn't have any kind of deeper significance, if you know what I mean. It's pretty, The stakes are pretty low, which I do like. Um, in some ways, I feel like it's not really about something. You know, there's there's kind of a through line that I feel is missing, but other than that... Uh, I, I quite like the idea that it's quite a smaller film and it's a bit more tightly constructed for that reason. Given that it was about him being at school, though, isn't isn't that the thing? I, yeah. I don't know. I can't quite put that to through line. I, I guess I'm not really following what that means. But the, the fact that they'd actually gone there and the rest of them were in school. Uh, and I think that there was one part of the Tobey Maguire thing, which I think was absolutely perfect as a school scene that maybe will come up later. But not, they weren't noticeably... Uh, well, I won't say children. They weren't noticeably a teen, whereas this one was. And that, that makes it stand out so much compared to the other ones. Yeah, obviously it's a bunch of teenagers that look like teenagers, for the most part. Uh, Although think, disturbingly uh, still over 20 years old, almost all of them, but, but yes, well, yeah, they, t- they well, looked um, younger somehow, however the hell they manage that. Yeah, I think uh, I think Liz is the only one that causes a bit of a problem. I think she looks much older than she's playing, but uh, Tom Holland looks like 12, so, you know, he gets away with it. I saw an interview with him and he said he'd actually gone into a school for three days and put on an accent to see how it to see how what school was like and I thought good god he, he must look young then if he can get away with being at the school <laughs> yeah I read that yeah, one went myself in, yeah yeah he went in as someone's cousin pretending <laughs> to be someone's cousin <laughs> crazy he he does seem like a he's a really good fit for the character as well even like outside of the film because he's just so enthusiastic and he's as yes. he's as excited about seeing Infinity War as we all are and you know yes. he's well into it and he's like oh my god I'm Spider-Man it's you know it's it's really inspiring to see someone who's just you know like a kid in a candy store playing this character it's great so yeah um so does anybody have anything spoiler free that they want to add uh, or can we launch straight into um, spoiling it for everyone. Let's spoil it for everyone. Aaron, are you in agreement? Do it. Cool. Spider-Sense going crazy. Right, now we're free to say whatever we want. Anybody who's still listening and hasn't seen the film, uh, you're going to be spoiled. Sorry about that. Well, I'm not sorry, because you were warned. Uh, so, the film has a story. Um, and the story essentially is that Peter wants to be an Avenger. 
and spends two hours trying to prove himself to Tony Stark. Um, that's pretty much it for story in terms of his story, because everything's more about his character journey. You know, the the way he goes from being naive to slightly less naive. Um, I thought it was a good a good way to do it. Actually, I like um, I like seeing him just going kind of going through his day to day struggles. Um, missing tests, you know, letting his friends down, um, making his aunt worry about him. I, I, that's the stuff I love about Spider-Man, not the big villain stuff, you know, not the end of the world stuff. I just like the the fact that people are just disappointed with him because he's not there, because he's out saving people. I do like that. There's a noticeable... Well, the fact that it is so low level, I think, means that you're guaranteed some very personal plot lines that you're going to be able to to connect with, which is which is one of the bigger problems with some of the Avenger. Well, yeah, some of the Avengers films, some of the MCU films now that they're just so big that it's, it's either an action festival or it's boring. So putting yourself back down on the lower level and making it personal is almost like a free win, I think, in 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 my book. Yeah, and it's a very different film for Marvel as well. It's the first film they've told about someone who isn't old enough to drink, you know, <laughs> um, which seems a bit strange to say, but he is young and everyone else in the MCU are adults. And, you know, they have, well, Tony Stark's a rich guy, so there's only so much you can relate to him. Captain America's a soldier, you know, and so on. I mean, um, I suppose Ant-Man would be the most relatable because he's a guy just looking for a job who made a mistake. Um, but yeah, they're they're all, you know, noticeably adults, so this is a good way to kind of get the kids looking at something and, and experiencing kind of their own issues on screen, I suppose. I don't think they'll have had any trouble getting kids to watch the other films, though. No, no, definitely surely. not. Surely. Yeah. But it's, it might it's, add an extra dimension for them, but I don't yeah. know that it'll, they've done this specifically to attract a yeah. younger audience. But that, it is a, that can't be one of their concerns. Yeah, it is a different tactic for Marvel, though, You know, in terms of what they're making films about, the, the kind of age group that the, the characters are in. I've got to say, in the screening that I was at, there was a couple of kids that I think were five or under that were in there and were bored by an hour in. <laughs> yes. Um, who were kicking off because they wanted to go, they wanted to go. And I think, obviously, Mum wanted to see the film and the kids did not have an interest whatsoever. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say, you know, if they're ten or above or something, they'll, they'll love it, probably. Yeah, yeah. and Peter Parker as a character, um, I think uh, there was parts of his character that are missing for me. There was the... Um, you know, his sense of responsibility felt different because everything was about impressing Tony Stark rather than helping, you know, going out doing hero stuff for the sake of doing hero stuff. Everything was about his Avengers audition kind of thing rather than I'm just doing this because I can. And I think that's an aspect of the character that we haven't got to see before because they haven't been playing in the sandbox with other heroes, uh, with other adults or other sort of superheroes being about. You've, they've not been able to show that angle of him trying to impress other heroes or trying yeah. to play with everyone else, you know, because he's not had that. I wouldn't think that say that was missing either, in in that brutal sense. I think it's something that hopefully it's going to be learned, because the whole point of him being a, a teen is that he has to, if you will, come of age. He has to learn everything that he's going to have 
in his adult life, what he values. If we'd got a developed 15-year-old who was a saint in a Captain America-style way, doing what was right because it was right, then arguably that that lesson set that he's got to pick up as he becomes an adult would be taken away from us. Totally um, agree. He had that... Um He'd learned that lesson by the time he appears in Civil War, though, because he he talks to Stark about how he's um, his motivation comes from the fact that if bad things happen and you do nothing about them, then they happen because of you. Uh, the the line isn't exactly that, but it's, it's something along those lines, and it's um it's essentially another way of saying the with great power dot 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 line. Well, it it is, but when you learn something. If, God, even when I learn something now, it doesn't stick. You learn the lesson first, and then it's a while before it becomes instinct, and you're doing it all the time. So in a in a moment of calm, I think it's perfectly reasonable for you to be able to speak the lesson back. But then, especially when you're a teenager, and you've got all these other influences and demands on your brain then it's going to take a while for that to to really stick in your head and then become a divining principle for you. Because, let's face it, he learned that lesson in a rather mundane setting, presumably around his his uncle's death, which is a horrible thing to happen to anybody, and it, it will change you. But then immediately he's catapulted onto the world stage, surrounded by superheroes, kicking ass. And surely that joyful teen is going to, take over, as it clearly did when he starts quipping non-stop. You know, yeah. one of the best bits about Civil War was, was some of his little jokes. And, and so, what, you know, why wouldn't that come to the fore? The sheer excitement value varies that lesson. So I see what you're saying, but I still think it's reasonable that he's, he's got the germ of the lesson, and it's got to grow in him to become something that is instinctual later. Yeah, there was kind of a sense of it, actually, which I... Th- wish they'd emphasised at the end when he turns down Stark's offer to join the Avengers um, it seemed like, it seemed to me that that was because Stark specifically says there are things that are below the Avengers pay grade and um, it would have been interesting if Peter had said nothing's below my pay grade I don't want to live like that kind of thing Um, because again it was kind of there but I know it's maybe something to emphasise in the sequel I think he said no because that suit looked horrific. Um, <laughs> I'm not wearing that. <laughs> I looked at that and I thought, oh, please, no. And uh, thankfully he said no. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if some of it was the fact that he had learnt that he could, he would still be called on. I think he understood that he would still be called on if something comes up, and we know he will. Mm-hmm. But um, that he's good at that ground level. He, they need heroes down there. Yeah, so I think that's partly why he said no. Yeah. That and the horrific suit. <laughs> yeah, the, the pay grade thing is quite interesting actually, because obviously uh, I watch the the Netflix shows, or I've seen some of them, um, and you don't see Tony Stark sticking his nose into Hell's Kitchen to find out what's going on, despite the fact that there's some pretty heavy stuff going on down there, um, or any of the other Avengers really. You know, Black Widow isn't out patrolling. Uh, patrolling Harlem with Luke Cage and it's um so it's interesting that there is that distinction you know where Stark thinks the Avengers no nah, the, the Avengers are needed for bigger stuff than down here and um it's 
it's an argument I'd like to see happen. Actually, the you know who are you to decide what's important and what's not when it comes to saving lives? I do think you see an element of that in this film. He does try and argue. Um, but his case does get heard you know Tony does then go to the right authorities and go listen you need to have an eye on this guy you know and sort it out and you know at at that point if uh, Peter hadn't intervened potentially that would have been resolved without the Avengers being called at the end of the day Yeah. yeah I wonder how long it would have taken the FBI to sort out the vulture yeah, I mean, whether they would have just grabbed them up at the top and then that would have been it, real, real credits or not, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of variables in there, but, you know, potentially yeah. without the interference, it would have gone through. I mean, it is something you get in the Spider-Man comics, though. You do get them t- rescuing a cat out of a tree or chasing down someone with a stolen bike. Yeah. You know, you do get those in, in odd comics, so I think it's good to kind of see that here. Yeah, it's because he, 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 he looked the other way once and then yeah, know, his uncle yeah, died yeah. and then he's never going to do that again. If he can help, he will help, that kind of thing. Um, it's interesting how low level, like super low level, his heroic exploits at the start of the film were. You know, he stops a bike theft, he helps, <laughs> he gives someone <laughs> directions. Uh, what else does he do? Um, I think he carries shopping for someone. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, stuff that's like one. that, yeah. You know, yeah. it's 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 lots of little bits like that, but I think even for the MCU as a whole, kind of good to have a, a ground level movie hero. I know yeah. that you've got the TV universe and you've got plenty sort of street level stuff going on there, but I think it's good for them to go. Okay, here is the big grand space battle that is happening above your head. Meanwhile, on the ground where you live, uh, here's what's going on, and here's a hero that's sort of fighting that sort of street level crime within a city but can also be called upon, you know, when the Avengers need the assembling done. Yeah, and it gives a vague explanation for why you haven't really heard of him before now. Because, um, you know, he was doing really small stuff, and uh, I think in Civil War they mentioned that it's... Um, well, Peter tries to say, oh, that's just special effects, you can do that on a computer or whatever. He's not actually... The, you know, Spider-Man wasn't a public figure until very, very recently. Yeah, and the, I think there was was there a hint of it in Ant Man? I can't remember. They mentioned when, the guy when that crawls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a little mention, but I think that's about it. You know, you've not yeah. really heard much before, but you don't hear much about the the Netflix sort of university people either. No, that's because the film universe and don't like to talk about the TV universe. Ne- neither shall they ever meet. <laughs> Which is a shame. I want Spider Man to meet Daredevil. That'd be cool. Unspeakably dark. But cool. <laughs> so, like, Peter as a character, obviously, um, talked a bit about his kind of Spider-Man side, where he's, you know, he's out helping people and making jokes and generally loving life. And, but uh, as Peter Parker, as a kid at school, uh, I like the idea that he has, a, like, a best friend who gets in on his identity pretty quickly, because it it cuts down on, like, the inner monologue that might have seemed a bit dumb. You know, if he was just talking to himself inside his head all the time. So he has this friend who bounces ideas off. And I thought Ned was great as well. He was one of the best things about this film. One of my favourite characters, definitely. Um, I thought the way he discovered his identity was pretty good fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, the fact that you sort of see him sort of creeping about on the ceiling, going through, gently closing the door, jumping down, and then, you know, the, the Death Star getting there. obliterated yeah. is uh, <laughs> is great. But yeah, I think it, it did a good job of stopping that 
inner monologue also gave him someone to bounce off about it. Yeah. And for it to be someone from school made it quite good fun and a bit jokey. Um, particular all, all the questions, sort of the the sort of little montage afterwards of all the questions. Do you lay eggs? Can you yeah. spit venom? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a. It's quite a good way to kind of establish what you can and can't do as well. It's a, it's exposition without being exposition. It's where one of the strange. Uh, well, this is, this is where the internet really got me thinking on, on this, though, because I have to agree, when I was in there watching the the, the Ned character, I, I really enjoyed, got a lot of out of, and then I went online afterwards. That was and a some Yeah, and, and Ned was described as the uh, stereotypical, quirky Asian sidekick, and I thought, oh, crap, he is. And I didn't that, get that at all. I thought he was strong enough to. But he didn't. If it. you think about it, though, did, what what was what defined him? What defined Ned? He he was somebody who was the guy who was in the chair. So he had he had amazing computer skills. You know, far beyond what you expect from a standard fifteen-year-old. So he he definitely should have been in some sort of school program where he could he was in some you know he was, he was in an advanced computing class because he you know he, he happily connected into uh, Tony Stark's cyber suit that was built with no issues at all played around for a bit had quite happily changed all the code and did what he wanted you know the, the presumably the suit has its own security system to stop it being tamp- pampered with otherwise what's the point you just hack into his suit and start shooting webs everywhere. But he could just totally do that. And he ends up being defined by his his connection to Peter and just being quirky. He was the guy with the stupid hat at the party. That was his thing. It, I think it... I, I want to go back now and look at some 80s films and see if I can find other... Uh, find other films... I'm thinking specifically of that genre where where I kind of remember the supporting Asian kid was a big deal uh, and, and, and was used heavily then. And I kind of don't think that that the character himself was a problem in the film, and I enjoyed it a lot in terms of how it was delivered, his jokes-wise, what he did with, with Peter, but it, it just sticks in my head that, yes, I have seen that a lot, certainly starting in the 80s, and then presumably carrying all the way on and it, it does it it bothered me after i read that but you would have had the the same stereotype if you had had uh, a white geeky male yeah. with glasses that like dungeons and dragons and building lego death stars i mean the, the way they could have rocked it up i suppose is you make it a girl character you know you, you make it a girl in the chair or you, you do you know something along those lines but I, uh, there's a lot of stereotypes that go about with that character set you know the 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 geek that's sitting behind typing on the keyboard going no turn left here and i'm just unlocking the door now uh, using my magic typey fingers (laughs) you know it's um that character's always kind of a stereotype there's a few that have broken the mold but most are along those lines aren't the way i look at the i mean the the characters in this film outside of peter you know he's one of the only white kids at that school but i I think um certainly the 
impression I get about their approach to casting is they had a list of names on a page and they didn't worry about, they didn't think I'm going to cast an Asian as Ned. They were just going to find someone that fit the character they'd written. And maybe they are kind of broadly drawn stereotypes, but I don't think, um, I certainly don't think Ned was specifically written to be an Asian. I think he was just written to be Peter's nerdy best friend. Um, same with any of the others, because I wouldn't say that any of them are defined by their race. And it's and it's really interesting that um, that the the high school thing, you know, Peter's one of the, I think he's one of two white kids, maybe, that, and the, that are sort of prominent. The other one's Betty Brandt. Uh, maybe there's others, but they, they don't stick out. But the the fact is, it's a really diverse group of people, and they say nothing about you know they don't say look how diverse this group is. They just kind of it just kind of is, which is the right way to do it. Even if it certainly is, on screen they don't, yeah. but the 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 film itself was was marketed as having a very diverse cast. That was yeah. one of its aims. Then the producers were, were were going for that. Yeah, that's kind of the the thing they have to say to market it, you know. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely famous. more diverse than previous Spider-Man films, though. If you look at the classmates in previous Spider-Man uh, films that you've seen, it's definitely the biggest mix that you've seen, and definitely more true to what a New York school would be like. Yeah, definitely. Well, that I can't deny. Actually, there's one of the reasons I say. I, I'm, I'm struggling to settle on an opinion here is is because of the fact that there is a lot of diversity in the cast and they've certainly created what would be a believable New York City school as far as I can tell it, it there are just these strange little issues that are possibly modern stereotyping and it, the reason it sticks in my head as well is because it is very easy to do things by natural assumption. You know, these days we're being challenged to make sure not to be, not, not just to challenge our overt racism that we, 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 you might say things and not really think about it clever enough, but you're also being invited to challenge what's going on in your subconscious where you've, you've picked something up without meaning to. And it's, it's noticeable that, as I say, it's just noticeable that Ned is a male Asian psychic. It is noticeable that the main female cast are all diverse, whereas the main male cast are all white. And it, it I'm not, this is, but this is the thing. I'm not necessarily saying that there is a massive issue here that this film should be censured for, you know, and, and, and immediately burned. There's just something weird going on under the surface that I'm, I'm struggling to even properly put my finger on what it is. See, I, I never quite saw that. I mean, maybe like the biggest sin for Ned is that he is slightly thinly written as, and he doesn't really have his own arc. But it's not, you know, the film's not called Ned; it's called Spider-Man: Homecoming. But um, well, despite that, did you not think that the two supporting female I don't want to say leads. I don't want to support the two main supporting female characters were better defined because the MJ that's totally not MJ, honestly, is is clearly from the alt scene, and I thought that was very well established. Um, Liz is defined by her academic need, 
and she has a responsibility to her own future that seems to govern her actions, whereas Ned is clearly Peter Psychic. Yeah, and I suppose that's a role he slots himself into as well. He kind of wants to be the sidekick because he wants to be part of the the whole Spider-Man journey. But um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of thought most of the supporting characters were as kind of well as developed as each other. I mean, uh, Michelle or MJ, as she randomly threw in at the end, um, she only has like a handful of lines, and it's usually a, a joke. You know, it's usually a, just a punchline at the end of a scene. Um, she'll say something that kind of diffuses the moment, so to speak. Um, but but she is so well written that way, I think, yeah. because she is she even without was without a lot of words, she manages to identify that she is quite clever, must be in order to make these jokes. Um, she is a she is a jokester. She's not taking things too seriously. That's her life perspective assigned. She's clearly on the alt scene because she's not quite gothic, but she's got her interest in the the darker side of of human emotions. And all of that comes out in every line she's got. Whereas with, as I say, with Ned, I don't think you get that. And he gets a lot more uh, screen time. I mean, I, I just think of Ned as a bit of a, just a just a nerd who is Peter's long-suffering best friend kind of thing. But their friendship feels very lived in. Like, their scenes together are great. You know, they they bounce off each other really well. And that handshake they have, it's just... You know, where they do it without even looking and things like that. And it's little touches like that that kind of tell you that these these two kids have a history. And I suppose it's the fact that they're both essentially social outcasts. Because um, you definitely get the impression that Ned doesn't have a lot of friends, if any, outside of Peter. Um, I can't deny that. I really, yeah, absolutely. But this is one of the things I say. I, it's not that I disliked it, because I actually really did like the character. I think that you're right, he does... I do have an excellent friendship dynamic and it, it does do what it needs to do for the film. Uh, and he has his cool moments where he gets to use the, the web shooter um, and he gets his little porn joke and, uh, and, and th- there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that scripting at all. And, and the actor that's there plays it very well. So I, I cannot deny that friendship dynamic is, is cornerstone of the film and good with it. Yeah, um, and it's quite rare in certainly his teenage stories to see Peter with a with a friend. You know, he's normal. They normally exaggerate the he has no friends side of things. Which is it? I mean, it kind of worked in the sixties because it just shows. You know, it just gives you that information very quickly. But um, Spectacular Spider Man did it well because he had two friends that were also on the fringes of any social circle. So uh, I like the idea that you know it's it's very real that. Yeah, there'd be there'd be someone that you could talk to, just so, yeah, someone, and you know they, yeah, they're they're friends essentially. Well, you don't know what made them friends, but the implication is it's because no one else likes them, so you know they they uh, they group together. Yeah, well, everyone at that school's meant to be smart. It is meant to be like a a science academy, isn't it? Yeah, like a technical school of some sort. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like a you know, it's it's you know, you've got to work really hard to get in there in the first place. So every every one of the supporting characters you see there is supposed to be exceedingly talented at something, be it computers or robotics or you know whatever they're working on in there. So as much as Ned is the you know the one sort of tech guy that he's working with, every one of those characters 
uh, Michelle slash MJ included, are all meant to be extremely high performing students to be in there. Except for I mean, from I mean, yeah, I mean, the the relationship between those two is what helps make it lighter. I mean, if you if you think back to the previous sort of Spider Man films and the Peter Parkers that you've had, they've been weighed down with so much baggage. And I'm not saying that that baggage isn't there with this character. However, having a friendship, a big light friendship like that, picks the character up a little bit. Where in the past you've sort of seen them sort of trampled over for so long, they will be lusting after their their female love interest in the film, but they'll be getting nowhere and they've got no one to talk to about it. So you just see them looking a bit creepy in the corner watching them. <laughs> Whereas with yeah. this, at least he's got someone to talk to about it. And it makes it lighter and more jokey. And, you know, I, I, I prefer it that way, to be honest. I think the, you know, the Peter Parker character here is a bit lighter, a bit brighter. Yeah, he clearly enjoys what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, he has his troubles and he's hiding his, his identity from his aunt and everyone around him. And he's, you know, the, the pit where they're um, in gym class and he's doing the sit-ups effortlessly and the teacher's like, good job. And then he just, he suddenly, like, looks like he's struggling a bit more because he's like, oh, no, I can't be seen to be too athletic. You know, it's it's things like that. It's um, the little, yeah, he's weighed down by the fact that he has to concentrate on keeping this secret every day. Um, but the the Ned thing keeps it from from slaughtering him, I suppose. And uh, I I don't know where this where this sort of fits in on the rotor because we've kind of jumped into into Peter's characterisation. But I do like the fact that this film gets in with the story right away, sets up your villain nice and quickly, jumps straight to you know the tail end of civil war. Essentially, yeah. and gets going. We've we've not had to see Uncle Ben suffer and die again, and we've not had to see um, Peter getting bitten by a spider. You know, it it just jumps right in. I guess because the character introductions mainly been done in Civil War itself. Yeah, you don't sort of need that full explanation. But I, I kind of like how it jumped in and just got running right away. You weren't sort of sitting through the okay, let's go over this story one more time for everyone, just so you just so you've got the you know, you've got to be sure here. Uh, kid here gets bitten by a spider, develops powers, uh, you know, finds out about his powers and starts fighting crime, you know. It's like they just get right to it, you know. Yeah. Um I actually had a bit of an issue with the um the opening, you know, the not with the opening itself. I thought it was all good, the way they set up tombs, etc. They uh um but it's the bit where it says eight years ago. Um or eight years later, whichever it is, it, it, eight years, it's, it's apparently been eight years since the Avengers, which was set this film in 2020, although Civil War and Doctor Strange were quite clearly set in 2016, which means that this film is two months after Civil War, um, which means it's set in 2016 or 2017-ish. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I've, I've read a couple of things about the sort of timeline getting a bit mangled in this film. I think someone film. just typed the wrong number. I think that was all it was. Um, either someone typed the wrong number or they were they were just trying to work out what would be a reasonable time between, you know, getting getting laid off by the government and them nicking your stuff to being, you know, having a proper crime syndicate on the go or, or, or jumping forward. I don't... I thought they'd it, been trying to force the timeline... So that they could get Peter Parker in as the the little kid in Iron Man, and that required <laughs> yeah. a certain time connection, which unfortunately seems to undermine some of the other parts of the MCU's timeline. But 
you, you kind of hope that if they've done that, then it's got to be for a really good reason. Hopefully it's not just because somebody thought, do you know what would be cool? Yeah. yeah. Although I, I mean, I it seems it weird. A it's a mistake. Uh, yeah, but it's very specific to say yeah. eight years. Yeah. It's not five. It's not four. It's eight. Yeah. Why eight? Or was it just that someone spun the roulette wheel and went, how how far between these two things do we need it to be to make a bit of sense? You know, they've now got their criminal connections and their underground lair and they've developed a wingsuit and they've, okay, it's going to be eight years. Okay, right, yeah. go. And that's that's what we're going to put in because if you go two months later. <laughs> you know, it seems like that villain has suddenly built up an empire. You know, going from being regular Joe to having his criminal empire just didn't take that long. You know, yeah. But it's I, I, it's unsurprising. It's surprisingly sloppy, I suppose, because we've been so used to all these things being very, very calculated, and I think that's why it's become an issue for some people. But I think most people that are going into the film won't care. I, won't think I mean, I've that. I've got to be honest. I've not got a I've not got a timeline on the wall, a whiteboard with all the lines over it, working out what films are running in which particular time. I know well, that originally they said everything was running almost, you know, parallel to us. Yeah. So every film when it was released was supposed to be in the year of that release. Yeah. But we now know it's all kind of thing, and not not to mention the fact that sort of Guardians of the Galaxy is floating about out there as well. And is about to sort of uh, career into this universe too. So the timeline's already a bit mangled um, and a bit mushy. So I think most people going in will go, oh, eight years, fair enough. It took him eight yeah. years to build his criminal empire. That's, I don't think they'll be looking at it as, oh, well, you know, Iron Man's in this year and then this happened here and then that, oh, oh that doesn't work. Most people will go, eight years, okay. It took eight years for him to start developing his own weapons and get his criminal network up and running. No, I mean I'm a, I'm a massive nerd, so that I notice that stuff. But I did only notice it on the second viewing, actually. So, um, you know, it's, it's these little things that just niggle at me as I, as I rewatch these films. Um, mm. I didn't notice that Doctor Strange was set in 2016 from the beginning until I saw it the second time and read the the date on his trophy. So, um, yeah, and Doctor Strange happens over apparently a couple of months rather than years, which it, and that's the one film that could have happened over a few years, but. Um, yeah, other Never sort heard. of uh, eagle-eared people have spotted music that's playing in the background of different films that sort of dates it to it's got to be at least this year because yeah. that song wouldn't have been out until, you know. it's I, I, I get why people pay that much attention to it, but I think most people going into the film will go, oh, eight years, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I'm I know. I put it down to a continuity error, that's all. It is a continuity error. It is something that I'm, I'm, I am surprised because Marvel have been very, very good to a point of making sure that everything fits. The universe, Jigsaw, fits almost perfectly. But there are these sort of cracks, and I don't know if it's because of the time and the amount of people they've now got working on little separate projects that they can't have someone going through line by line going, oh, oops, hang on, this little thing here says eight years. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see when it goes out on DVD if someone scrubbed that and put, you know, five <laughs> or four or whatever in there. Five, you know. years, yeah. five years later, or some time later. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. I don't know why they, they do this to themselves by making it so specific, you know. If you go a few years later, it's like, fine, a few years passed, well, that, you know. That's what the comics do anyway. It's like, when did Spider-Man get his powers? A few years ago, you know. Yeah. Like, it wasn't the 60s, obviously, because he's still in his 20s in the comics, but, like, you know, so it can't have been 50 years ago, but it was, you know. it's Yeah, whatever. It's just, <laughs> I'm a nerd and yeah. these things. Um 
So that brings well, you get nerd, you get nerd points for spotting it, and um, and and congratulations, we'll give you a rosette. Although in the comics, uh, if you wrote into the letters page, pointed out a continuity error or some kind of error, and came up with a a reasonable explanation for why it wasn't an error, you would get something called a no prize, which is you know you get no prize, but you get some cre- credibility for being creative. So I don't have a theory about why the timeline is what it is, but never mind. <laughs> So no, no prize for Craig, is what I'm saying. But that does bring us naturally on to Tombs as a villain, played by Michael Keaton, who loves to play winged creatures, or or characters based on winged creatures. This is his third, Batman, Birdman, and uh, the Vulture. So Marvel has a bit of a reputation for their villains not being the best part of their films. You know, Malekith from Thor 2, for instance, being a particularly egregious example. But um... oh. <laughs> He did have to suffer from being in Thor 2, though, so the poor <laughs> bugger was screwed from the start. <laughs> and in Loki's shadow, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. So, I loved uh, Tombs as a villain. I thought his motivation made clear sense. Um, he was menacing enough. Michael Keaton did a great job. They managed to stay away from the personal connection to Peter Parker until towards the end so you know the the fight between them was almost incidental for a while and it really worked you know it's uh, Peter wanted to stop those weapons Tombs was selling those weapons it was the natural conflict there um, the vulture suit looked cool yeah, it, it was kind of the basis for him worked for me I really liked him as a villain. When I first heard they were going to be doing the Vulture, I was like, oh, that guy, you know, like the really the really old guy that looks like he's about <laughs> to pass away in every comic, you know. <laughs> looks like, you know, the, ne- the next time Peter throws a punch, that's going to be it. He's going to be right out, you know. Um, but I, I I really liked this. I liked the way they sort of MCU'd it up by making it a proper sort of flight suit, a sort of... Uh, um, almost like the Falcon's outfit, but yeah. uh, just a little bit more low-tech. Um, I, I I just thought he was pretty neat, and seeing the origin of the villain, um, at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, well, I kind of understand why he might have gone right. That's it. You know, we've got the tech know-how. We've you know we've stolen some of the stuff. Let's you know, I'm I want to care for my family. The government have done this to me, and you know, I, another I, villain I, I, created by I Stark to... screwing someone over. Yeah, yeah. I I, I thought. <laughs> I I just thought he was he was really really good and I I loved the little reveal at the end I could I could tell by the sort of third quarter the the final quarter of the film I was like well he still doesn't know who Peter is yet he doesn't know that Peter is Spider Man that must be coming at some point because it always <laughs> it always happens towards the end of the film he goes aha I've discovered who you are now that's it you know I'm going after you I'm like so it must it, there must be a relation here somewhere and then when he was doing the homecoming dance I was like ah it's going to be the dad isn't it because <laughs> you've not you've still not seen the daughter you know the family's out there and they're oblivious to the fact of who he is so yeah I, I eventually saw it coming but I thought it was a nice little surprise. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed him. Actually, every part of him, even down to the level of the explanation of the name, because I've seen a couple of different ways of calling somebody a vulture before, but it never really was any more than a nickname in some of the things I've seen. But here, the fact that he was actually picking over the parts of some destroyed objects and 
it is just what Peter calls them at the end, it still works on that meta level that we're all watching. So I, I, I couldn't help but but think he was well created from from that perspective. But it, I would say that I enjoyed every part of the play as well, actually, from, from Michael Keaton, who just doesn't do anything wrong. I think he got a a really good starting point in that they cut it down to a personal level and it's almost like you say Marvel have, are, are, have these weaker villains but when you're playing on the cosmic level your personal motivations are just almost irrelevant but if you're playing on such a uh, a, a human level then the motivations are always going to be that much more personal unless you're just you know psychotic so he, he, he was given this a uh, he was given somebody good to play, but I don't, I don't want that to detract from his performance because I think he took that and then did so well with it. But undeniably, it's this, uh, it, was a, it was an excellent performance written and played. Yeah, that, that scene where he was threatening Peter when he drops him off at the, the dance and he was like, um, you know, you saved my daughter, you get a free pass, but if you get him away again, you're dead. That's kind of really menacing chat and obviously it's the dad talk you know and it's um it's supposed to be the he's get he's chewing out his uh, his daughter's boyfriend but on that other level it's like the villain warning the hero to stay out of his business so i think it really works and again that's what spider-man's well known for is you know having the the personal touch the more grounded um relatable touch as well as the kind of superhero stuff so that scene encapsulates both of those in one conversation. I think that whole drive over to the school is is a brilliant scene because it's that watching the penny slowly drop, Peter squirming as he's thinking, <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't want to be found out, don't want to be found out, don't want to be found out. And then he's like, damn, he's, he's worked it out, you know. Yeah, he was at my party. Well, he disappeared. <laughs> uh, he, he was in DC. Well, he wasn't in the lift. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> What's good about that as well is because I was going to was going to bring that up myself. I think what's what's so excellent about that is is it was done in their faces. Yeah. At no point was did somebody need to explain to the audience, "Oh, you were in DC. This must mean there's there's a there's a level of cleverness in the writing that I think goes back even right to the start, even in the simple things where they bother to put in little phrases like "I've bought a truck." as he's talking to those government agents. It, yeah. it sounds like such a tiny thing, but it it's those things that make it human and personal that, I, that are missing in a lot of the other films where it's it's bigger and we're doing this because we have to, because the galaxy needs us to. Whereas this all starts from the fact that I've spent money on my business and that's going to ruin everything. And, and then lead that up to the really big important stuff and say without needing any exposition, two actors can convince you that both have worked out what the other now knows. Yeah. Is, is, yes, it's good, good plot and genius. Yeah, it, it reminded me of the, um, the scene in uh, the first Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie where the, they're at dinner and it's the bit where they, they each work out the, um, the identities, you know, where uh, it's, it, it's all to do with a cut that Osborne gives Peter and uh, you know it's he's uh, seen to be bleeding in that same, exact same spot and he's kind of looking at it and you know puzzling it out from there but I think that is 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 good that they do that but it's noticeably less 
it's it, it's not as clever. It's not as intelligent. It's not as elegant because it is just you've got a cut in the same place as someone I just fought with. But this city is full of people, and some of them are going to get hit in the face by a bunch of stuff at a lot of time. Yeah. It works in the confines of really in this film, the city only has what fifteen people because that's all that's on camera, you know, really. So I know it must be you because nobody else in this entire universe has got a cut in that face. And they say it works plot wise, but it's not clever. Whereas Peter being so uh uncareful with his activities as Spider-Man, the idea that on reflection you go to Washington DC and then Spider-Man is in Washington DC at the same time. You you know anybody could work that out and you were stupid enough Peter Parker to to not think of that because yeah. because you're not trained, you're not doing it, you're still a kid, you've not learned. You know that all bringing all that together I think makes it much more elegant than than the previous films have done. Yeah, it's, it, the the connection I made was more on a performance level. You know, it was all done mm-hmm. through the subtext rather than you know the them calling each other out on it. But it was you could tell that you know Osborne suspected him and Peter suspected back, and there was the same kind absolutely. of absolutely, yeah. Oh, absolutely, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's just that that was reasonably well done, whereas this in Homecoming was really well done. Yeah. And I'm usually kind of bored with the villain finds out Peter is Spider-Man, you know, kind of stories because I don't because I've read so many comics and how many episodes of Spectacular Spider-Man do you watch where he, you know where the villain finds out his identity? There's like one, and that's it. But um, uh, so and and it still can work. But the the way they did it here was was really good. Um, I I also liked the fact that after finding out his identity, when he was in the sort of concrete, the the building, the concrete building at the end, and he's he's going there to try and get him before he he goes over to Stark. Yeah, I was like, at this point, he's going to say, "Oh, you know, well, I've got your Aunt May," <laughs> and I yeah. thought, "Please don't do that. Please don't do that, May hostage fake. Please don't do it." And thankfully, <laughs> they didn't, because I thought that's where they're going to go. They're going to go. I've got your pal. I've got Ned. I've got you know whoever you know. And but they didn't do that, and I think that it made a change. It made a difference, you know. Because how many times have we seen, you know, Mary Jane or uh, Gwen Stacy held hostage or Aunt May held hostage? It was it was nice that they didn't do that. They kind of steered away from it, but and the fact that he comes across that he, he he discovers it by complete accident that his you know one of his friends dad is the person he's been checking whereas with the the previous uh one with the norman osborne reveal he knew norman osborne was the the green goblin before he went back in whereas with this he turns up at the door and oh there he is you know Um, without you know he walks head first into it and wouldn't have been expecting because like you say new york's a big city what are the chances that you're you know (laughs) You know, Date's dad is going to be the villain that you're chasing. Well, in a film universe, very, very slim. But in the real world, you'd be thinking, oh, there's no chance. I'm not going to bump into him at the shops or down the street or in a taxi cab. I'm a, yeah. you know, but there, there you was go. also there was no scope for Tombs to threaten um, Peter's loved ones because he he had just found out that Peter Parker existed like an hour ago. You know, so he didn't really. And he was busy doing something else. So he didn't have any time to research who his loved ones were. All he knew was that. You know, Liz knew him, 
Um, oh, it doesn't stop them in the past. Yeah. Well, he's not going <laughs> to. They find out. They find out, and within five minutes, someone's been bundled into a white van outside their work. <laughs> well, he's not going to threaten him. He's not going to threaten Liz because Liz is his daughter. So I think that's not going to happen. But uh, yeah, but I did like the lack of a kind of hostage situation, and he was just like, "I'm going to give you one chance to leave me alone. Uh, if not, I'll kill you." And then when Peter shows up, he's like, "Oh no, I admire you for trying, but you know, I'm protecting my family here, so uh, let's get this over with." He was quick enough to. to get his goons to the back door, though. Yeah. That, that's the only bit. You know, you're saying he, d- he didn't have enough time to go and, and, and bundle Aunt May into a van, but he did have enough time to call his, his bodyguard and go, right, go to the back door, and when he comes out, do him. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's a quick text message, you know, so... Yeah, it's a very quick drive over to the yeah. school as well, unless he was, like, creepily following him the whole time. <laughs> I, was, I was wanting to um, connect that what we've just been saying there, actually, back to something, Craig, you were saying earlier, um, along the lines of doing something slightly more elegantly than than we've seen before. Because there's two parts there, I think, where you've pointed out that honour, even if it being slightly twisted, was in play. You know, I, I respect what you've done, so I'm going to give you a pass here. And Peter Parker himself has various points in the film where he shows his honour, which is first of all, he won't use the kill command what on earth that is, I don't know but he, <laughs> but he's, you know, he won't use it yeah. and then secondly, which is, which is actually the more elegant which is where he's in the, in the end scene, he defeats the villain by saving him and there's this key point where he actually says um, what are you doing? I'm not attacking you I'm trying to save you here so I think in, in all of these points, be they be they the slightly more harsh, but in that last one certainly more elegant, he's shown that he is actually behaving in a very honourable fashion. And you, you were saying you were missing from the some of the film the fact that he he hadn't had that sort of purpose, that belief that I'm doing this because it's right. And I wondered if this actually would stand in for that. It's like the early development of it. At the moment, he doesn't express this desire to do the right thing. He's not monologuing like he does in the cartoons, and he says, I'm doing this because it's the right thing. And he's not going through these Sunday school lessons where it's it's explicitly shown. But if you actually analyze his actions at all times, he won't hurt anybody. And even the villain who's tried to kill him a couple of times, you know, he's, he's actually trying to save the guy's life, not even making a conscious choice. He just does it. It's the first thing he thinks of when he sees that there's an explosive device on the guy he's just been fighting, fighting really hard. Nevertheless, instantly he thinks, I tried to save your life. And and I think that's why I I was thinking that it wasn't missing for me that he didn't speak the right role of the paladin trying to show through every single action to all the kids watching that he was a good guy. He just was one. And that seems perfectly reasonable, you know, for a 15-year-old starting out. Yeah, it'd be quite dark if this 15-year-old was like, right, I have to kill this guy. And it's something that the the previous Spider-Man films didn't quite do as well. I mean, the villains would always kind of be killed through some kind of other... Well, they'd be killed indirectly by him. You know, something would happen, and then he would wind up dead. But, um, but in this, yeah, I like the fact that that uh, Tombs goes to prison at the end rather than 
you know, um, rather than... Oh, yeah, and even then, you see this honourable bit where he's where the, the man who would be Scorpion comes up to him and says, you know, Peter Parker, tell me who he is. And he just says, nope, I'm not doing that. I mean, you don't really quite know why, because it's in terms of an, a direct action, because, it, you know, it, it, his, his, uh, his daughter's moved away. So it, it does have to be a general understanding this general honor that no i am not going to betray this guy here i mean it could be that they reserve the right in a later film to say something really base and useless like i want to be the one to kill him and that would undermine the whole bloody thing but say they don't do that the whole film with both sides the villain and the main character show that honorable behavior which is what the villain would actually have in place of right behavior is is important to to talk to, to both both sides of this this moral fight yeah it could be taken that you know essentially all tombs has left now is is the knowledge of who spider-man really is because uh, he's lost everything else but that's that's something that he can hold on to and you know and use at some later point i suppose if he gives it to gargan then well, I, yeah. I I would actually hate that because I think it would break his character because he the there he he is very much defined by what he thinks is right. You know, at the start, it's very much you, the government, can't do this to us. We, the working people, deserve this, and that's what leads him down. So we start. That's what leads him down the the, the bad path. But it comes from a certain belief in in what should be correct and then when he's ever faced with Peter Parker he says I'm giving you this one because you've been good to my daughter because you've saved this guy's life the the other character does does it the same um I've forgotten the name of the guy uh well I know the name of the character because it's Aaron it's the same as mine so I know what it is but the the minor crook who may or may not be connected to Miles Morales the prowler the prowler yeah Um, just uh, Donald Glover's character that's that's the one I was trying to remember. Yeah. Donald Glover. Yeah, he. It shows that there's a one of the undermining themes of the whole film is honourable behaviour because he does he does the same thing. The he doesn't his his you know, the the you don't want to turn on your mates. You don't want to be a snitch, but he does say to to Spider Man. I remember our last encounter. Um, you said turn the gun on me, and he, he said, "Yeah, that that really meant something to me, and therefore I'm going to give you something in return." So I, I would, I hope, I really hope they don't then undermine this this theme of honourable and right behaviour by going, "Nah, your knowledge to me is just coin to be spent when I want in the future." I think that would be that would be so cheap. Yeah. Incidentally, I absolutely love that scene. Is the bit where he says, "This webbing will dissolve in two hours." Like he gives them the, you know, you don't seem like such a bad guy. I'm not going to call the police, but I'm going to leave you stuck here for a little while. And uh, and he's like, "I've got ice cream." <laughs> I just I love that exchange. Oh, I uh, thought it was a really a really neat sort of fun fun scene, and especially when he's using sort of the voice changer, the deep <laughs> voice changer to, to. He's like, "I've already heard you talk." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's also a bit. It's like, why would Tony put that in? Maybe, maybe it's a bad, maybe it's a joke. You know, he's going. To oh, there's so many things about this. that suit where you're going. Why would Tony put that in? How many <laughs> web shooter combinations are there again? It's. Oh uh, yeah. I love it. It is exactly what Tony Stark in that universe would do. Is completely overkill the Spider-Man suit. I mean, in the pa- in the past, it's been a you know a pajama suit that the guys run about in. Yeah. 
How and long then before it's Civil got, War? It's got did... so many abilities, it's unreal. Yeah. How long before Civil War did he create this suit exactly? Because it's pretty <laughs> involved for something he apparently mocked up in five minutes. You know, but maybe he'd yeah, maybe he'd been planning it for for a while. Well, it seems like he's been bar. he's been yeah. tracking Peter for a little bit, doesn't it? And almost keeping it on the back burner. So whether he yeah. started developing something then and then thought, well, at some point we might need this guy, so yeah. I'll have all this in the background. Yeah, I mean, it brings us logically on to the use of kind of Iron Man and Spider-Man's wider input into the MCU as a whole. So we could start with the suit itself. Um, I still have issues with the with the high tech special features thing of it. I mean, I don't mind the fact that Tony Stark made him one, and maybe it can do a few things. You know, he's uh, gives him spider tracers, gives him the tracker. You know, the, even the eyes. I like the eyes, the expressive eyes, but all the like Iron Manish features were a bit was a bit much for me. You know, having an AI inside the suit, and I understand why they did it because in the comics, Peter is known for thinking to himself a lot. You know, he. Uh, like I said earlier, he monologues internally all the time because he spends a lot of time alone, so it's the only way you get any dialogue out of him sometimes. Um, and having the AI allow them to do that without talking to himself. But still, I thought it was a bit much for Spider-Man. It did seem a bit overkill what was on the suit, but like I said before, it does seem like the kind of thing that Tony would build. You know, he's he's put contingencies on top of contingencies. Even the fact that he put training wheels on it in the first place is quite funny. Um, I suppose the AI is kind of the replacement for what we were talking about earlier, the guy in the chair, you know, who he's talking to and he says, where have they gone? Okay, they're down this street here. I've calculated the best route. Here's the way you go. You know, it's kind of a replacement for that. And it does give him someone, instead of him, sort of monologuing to himself as he's swinging about, he's talking to this AI. And I thought there was some fun little scenes, the bit where he's sort of locked in the building and starts chatting to the suit and giving it a name. Yeah, there's, some kind of, was, there's a psychology subroutine in there that he can, you know, yeah, can help the, him resolve the, the his fact feelings. that it's sitting there talking back, I do think it's a bit overkill for Spider-Man to have a... It, it kind of feels like an Iron Man suit light version. Yeah. And if Tony's capable of putting all these things into fabric suits why isn't everyone wearing a fabric suit that can do what this can even underneath their battle armor or whatever you know it seems a bit a bit overkill for what you want but i suppose it's kind of giving you something different i do like the animated eyes i think it adds an extra sort of dynamic when they're wearing that mask especially for actors as well it must be pretty difficult to be wearing you know even the people that sort of wear these weird sort of latex masks and everything when they're yeah. when they're playing alien characters because you take away expression and i suppose one of the ways they can get that back is by at least giving them the animated eyes yeah, you can, can see if he's cross or look surprised he can yeah. frown and look surprised he can you know eyes can widen when he sees he sees something coming and he's shocked or whatever yeah. you know it, it does add a, an extra element to it i do think that's neat the sort of explanation for it that they give in civil war was pretty good yeah. you know so it's not it's not an unnecessary addition. And I don't know. I'm I'm kinda of torn between it. I think it does it it does what this film seems to do throughout, which is differentiate itself from what you've seen before. Yeah. In the past they've sat there on a sewing machine and had, you know, unnecessarily good sewing skills and created this <laughs> great costume. Whereas in this it's like his costume is oh you know, his original costume is pants. Yeah. Um you know. But- 
and is, um, this is a lot is a lot better. It kind of works with the MCU theme that they're bringing in and going. Yeah, Tony would create something like this. Yeah, there's actually a, mo- a modern teenage Spider-Man comic. It's just called Spidey, and they explain the whole he makes his own costume thing by he's a nerd who goes to conventions and cosplays. So that's how he can make his costumes, and that was, you know, that was like a fair enough explanation for me. But yeah, the the master sewing guy. But I suppose in in the sixties, that was kind of part of the school curriculum as well. You know, a bit of sewing here and there. But uh, um, yeah, him getting his suit off, Tony. I mean, it's I, I like it because the novelty of all the features. But also, I, I feel like it it takes something away from it in some ways. But I do like that at the end of the film, he has to go back to his his own stuff, you know, his old web shooters, his old costume, and he has to solve the problem without any of the high-tech stuff that Tony gave him. So he, he proves himself without it, at least. I, I yeah, I, I, I like the suit. I, I, I do have a slight problem with being Iron Man light, but that's about it, really. Uh, I, I, I think it looks pretty neat. I think the way the CGI sort of come along now, where you can't particularly tell between when they've CGI'd the suit in and when they've... Uh, and when they've got them actually in it, I think it's um, pretty good. Well, well, whereas it would be bad if Peter Parker received a modern-day sonic screwdriver that would just ruin all plots, I think at some point it's going to be important for all superheroes to be updated to modern-day capabilities. You know, once all criminality is... It's cyber. Then all of your superheroes are going to have to be cyber too, and we're we're nowhere near that. But that's just the extreme. Uh, you still do get people knocking over corner shops and so on, and 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 he is going to be involved in that stuff. But as as technology advances, you know, you you can't be outdone by your villains on the street outmaneuvering you through clever use of mobile phones. And that's something that could happen right now, you know. So I think I do like the idea that our Spider-Man is going to receive some technical upgrades to make him modern. You know, this isn't the 60s anymore, and it's not all about the shotgun over the counter and the newsagent, and that's the robbery that he has to solve. These The, the criminals in there, they, they had uh, funky gear that they'd bought off Toombs's alien manufacturing line. And he had to deal with that, and he didn't need to deal with that any more than he than he did with just you know beating him up. And uh, that, but that was an action scene. But I think if he's going to stay relevant in in future plots, then you want to see your criminals using at least mobile phones. I don't want to see them get involved in you know Swiss bank heist and so on with computer <laughs> viruses. But but still, there's got to be some development. And so I'm, I'm pleased to see the suit at least move on a bit. I mean, he's going to need the suit when he has to deal with the minions of Thanos and what have you. How the hell do they get that involved? I mean, he, he can't be just sitting there on the ground whilst they're all doing this alien stuff, you know, miles away in zero gravity or whatever. So the suit is going to be needed. But but even despite that, yeah, it's, I still, I'm still pleased to see him get a modern-day upgrade. Because, you know, you can buy a drone yourself from Amazon now. So, is it really a big deal that Spider-Man can use a drone? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I guess it's... It, I don't know. It, 
when it comes to my connection to the character, I'm more used to him being the kind of self-starter who, you know, has his all, all his own stuff and is a bit of a loner. And it still has that, but he's also still got his Tony Stark suit. But I'm thinking in Infinity War, he'll probably be wearing a, a version of that terrible looking one. Oh, he'll need a combat know. suit to play on that level, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, that, but that's just necessary. <laughs> I wonder if that one at the end was a quick mock-up from a digital artist because they were never actually going to do anything with it for this film anyway. You know, so we'll just chuck this in quickly to establish that he is some... You know, it has been thought about, blah, 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 let's throw it away. And by the time Infinity War comes out, Stark will build something else um, that looks a bit different, maybe. Or maybe not, who knows. We'll know next year. Um, yeah, Iron Man in this film, um, I thought he was used just the right amount. Uh, a lot of people were worried that he was going to overpower it. I never thought that for a second. I thought he would just be in a few key scenes and then go away, you know, and he's absent for more of a, a large part of the film, even though his presence is felt, you know, it's Peter's entire motivation is around impressing him, but, um, I mean, he doesn't even appear in person at first, you know, it's when when he saves him from the vulture the first time. And he's, he's used well, you know, the saving him from the, uh, the ferry sequence uh, to prove that, yeah, you're so out of your depth and uh, here's how easily I solve the problem. And uh, he was used well, I thought. That's a bit unfair on Iron Man giving him that arrogance. I mean, I know he's an arrogant character, but <laughs> I don't think he lorded that over Spider-Man at the time. Look how easily I did this, you scum. <laughs> you know, that's a bit harsh. It I think that I think that that was exactly what it needed to be, though. And one of the good things about the power level of of Peter in these films is it is really quite low. He's got solid power, but he doesn't know how to use it. He's got he can create massive amounts of webs, but he doesn't really know how to do them. He can fight, but he doesn't really defeat anybody. You know, he, he loses most of the time in all of yeah. these scenes that he's in. And that's right, because he is learning. And then, yeah, it turns out Iron Man can easily come and save one tiny fairy. And it is easy for him. But that just puts him in the role of of dad, which is what he's playing in this. And I think perfectly correctly and that word really well to have him as the father figure coming in and saying son you screwed this up completely i just fixed it as an adult would and you the child are stunned that an adult can do that you will learn this clearly not got it now so you're grounded <laughs> and that that's that exactly what it needed to be yeah. and uh using happy as the kind of he's in a bit more of the film because i guess john favreau you don't have to pay him as much uh but that was a good idea because Stark was like, I'm going to leave someone to keep an eye on you. And then Happy's not so, well, horrible word to use, but, but he's not so happy about the idea. You know, he doesn't like that he's babysitting and, uh, and and Peter's just texting him all the time and phoning him all the time. And it's it's clearly hard work for him. So it was, it was good having him as the go-between because John Favreau is funny anyway. But uh, it was a good little, it was a small dynamic, but it was a good one. I, I like the way it worked out. I mean, Tony as the the father figure, I think worked really, really well. Having Happy as that in between, I think is exactly how it would be. No, Tony wouldn't be dealing directly with Peter all the time and giving him his personal mobile to sort of text back and forward. He would use someone as an in between character, and that, you know, John Favreau, I think, just plays that character so so well. You yeah. know, called Happy Hogan, but he's sort of <laughs> saddled with absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it was the right amount of Iron Man, and um, 
I don't know. There was there was little things that he would do that were just you know he'd forget that he was talking to a teenager sometimes, um, when you know making inappropriate comments about Aunt May in front of him and things like that. I mean, it's very Tony Stark, but it's again he's not used to dealing with teenagers. It's kind of new for him as well. Um, I I agree with you. The the right amount of uh, Robert Downey Jr. in here. I was worried. I was one of those people that was a bit worried. Going good, you put. Robert Downey Jr. in the film, and you really do get him. So if they use him too much, it will seem like it's you know an, an Iron Man crossover sort of thing rather than uh, a Spider-Man film. But I think they they used him right. They they didn't sort of overpower the film with him. They didn't give him too many of the funny lines. They didn't sort of build that relationship up much. I think it I think it was just played really nicely. Um, yeah, really, really well. Yeah, and it's always good to see Robert Downey Jr. do his stuff. And I actually think, um, you know, he he actually put some effort in. Not that he never, not that he has never, or not that he's ever phoned it in. But uh, he, you know, there were some scenes where he was just really, really laying it on. I mean, I think Robert Downey Jr. is a really good actor, and he could easily just coast by just by being quippy and. Tony Stark like, but it's you know there's scenes where you can tell he's really he's really given it his all. So it's it's good that he didn't treat it as something that yeah he just was kind of doing for the hell of it. Happy, yeah, he's a sport character. He's he's got good lines, good comedy. Um, the 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 little bit at the end with the with the the joke in the toilet was was. <laughs> Perfectly delivered, uh, great comedy. I think he's going to be a welcome. He's a welcome support character in any of the films. Yeah. I think. Is Mister Stark here in the toilet? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think between that and the the wedding ring scene at the end, you know, have you got the ring? Oh yeah, I've had that for years or whatever. You know, I just, I, the way all that was kind of played, I loved that little bit. You know, I I, I just yeah, I thought it was uh, really really nicely done. Yeah, random Gwyneth Paltrow cameo. Yeah, yeah. Notice that she gets fourth billing in the credits as well. Mm. Yeah, someone pointed that out to me, and I was like, "How? <laughs> how do people negotiate that?" It's, it's you know, she is in a scene. Yeah. She, pops, she pops for like her head minutes. out of a door and goes, "Where is he?" You know, that's yeah. it. You know, crazy. Fair, yeah. fair, pl- fair play to the agent. Well done. Yeah, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. She gets what she wants. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was an unexpected cameo. I know it leaked on the internet days before, but I missed it, so that was it was unexpected. And to be fair, if she wasn't in it, I don't think the film would lo- would have lost anything. So, like, I don't know. Uh, it's a bit strange. But, yeah, Interesting it's- character development overall, though, because I think the last time we heard about Tony's love life, it was all falling to pieces. Yeah, we're so, on a break or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're on a break. She's doing something different at the moment. She's away, wherever, you know. It was like so interesting development to the sort of overall thing, especially going into the future films. Yeah, and I think I think the MCU connections in this film almost begin and end with Iron Man as well. Um, he's the reminder that there's a bigger universe out there, but it doesn't affect this film too much, other than the, the obviously the weapons are a consequence of the Avengers, which mirrors Daredevil in that way. Um, yeah. Don't in, don't forget Captain America and his yes. great speeches. Well, I was um, going to come on to that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I, I love those, and they they 
end credit stinger where it's like oh. you've waited a f- you sometimes you wait a long time and you think well, it's, it's something really let's have a lesson about patience and as soon as that came on i think there was about I mean, there was only about five people left in the cinema at that point when i went to see it and we were all hooting yeah. you know sometimes you wait a long time for something and it's very disappointing and you think <laughs> why did i just <laughs> and it was i it just delivered so well and so funny and yeah, it just, it was, yeah, I know there'll be some people that are really peeved that they've sat and waited through and got something that doesn't, you know, doesn't develop the plot or doesn't push anything forward. But I think it was just very, very, very neat. I think the connections to the MCU as a whole are, are good in this. They're subtle. They're not, you know, yeah, having Iron Man in it is kind of a big a big smack around kind of thing. But everything else is very... On on the level, you've got mentions of the Sokovia Accords and little bits, little nuggets throughout, but it's not over the top. It just kind of integrates it in a way that you think, oh, you know, they can mention these character names. They're allowed yeah. to do that. You know, whereas in the past, you definitely wouldn't have Iron Man. You wouldn't be able to mention any of those characters. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to mention this, that, the other. And it would all seem very disjointed, whereas they're allowed to fill in those little gaps and mention things, and it just kind of brings it all in together. Yeah, well, I mean, two things, what you said there. The um, the post-credit thing, the, the Captain America post-credit thing, was a riot. It was hilarious. But you notice that, that Marvel used to reward us for sitting through the credits? You know, they show us Thor's hammer, or they show us whatever. And uh, now they're laughing at us for sitting through the credits. They're, like, openly poking fun at us for sitting through the credits. Um, Captain America is telling us, "Yeah, this is disappointing. Laugh it up, you know." And, yeah, I think the uh, last the last few films have been on more of a comic theme, though. Spider Man has been it was quite funny. They had a lot of gags and stuff through it. Yeah, and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is along the same. It's it's a bit of a comedy. So for the post credit sting to be more of a comedy line, then I I can forgive them that really. Yeah. Oh no, I didn't think it was bad. I just thought. You know, it's like they're making fun of us for sitting through the credits now. That's that's they know they've got us. That's the thing. They know that we're going to stay no matter what. Uh, the other thing uh, picked up on was um, oh god, and maybe I didn't pick up on it at all. We're talking well, about MCU integration. MCU integration and subtle subtlety was the other bit I mentioned. But whether that nah pushes you into. Nah, it's gone. <laughs> it might come back. Aaron? I can confirm that I do not know what Craig was about to say. Yeah. I'm trying to think what... What, what were you about to you say, though? <laughs> I'm trying to think what the second thing you were talking about was. I was just talking about sort of subtle details in the background and sort of mentioning character names and stuff, making it all seem connected. Mm. Nah, that doesn't help. And feel better connected than the other films because obviously yeah. they couldn't mention from people. Yeah. Well, okay. The the second thing is, uh, I'll, I'll go for the second thing being, for the use of Captain America in this film w- was brilliant. Uh, they've only had, obviously you only have three instances including the post credit scene and it's those little school videos about, you know, be kind to your teachers and, you know, you're in detention you screwed up, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that shows you how bad Captain America could be as a character if, if he was written the way that people can interpret him. Hmm. You know, he's, I- he's super cheesy and he's self-righteous and, you know, very God bless America. And 
that is exactly what he could be like if it, if he wasn't written so well. Yeah, I mean, the the one bit that surprised me a little bit is now at this point, are we supposed to believe that he's a he's a fugitive from the law? Well, he is. He's a fugitive and he's broken people out of prison, so they're still showing videos in school going, hey kids, be like me. Well, they paid for them, you know, so <laughs> they have to use them. Yeah. I'm sure one of the teachers mentioned it. He says he's a war criminal, but uh, we still have to use them. Yeah, we've still got the tapes. We paid for the tapes and we're going to use them. Yeah. Until they, until they send us uh, Vision doing uh, doing the equivalent lines, we're going to keep going, yeah? Yeah, until um, whoever, yeah. Tony Stark's not the best role model, so, you know, Cap is, even though he's a war criminal. Yes, that was the second thing. The Sokovia Accords. How does that work for Spider-Man? Um... If you think about it, it's all about registering superheroes, making them accountable, or specifically registering the Avengers and making them accountable for what they're doing. But Spider-Man's just out there running riot, playing, making mistakes, causing property damage, and not really answering for any of it. I mean, the thing is, where he accidentally destroys the deli, obviously it's not him, it's that weapon, or destroys the ferry, that's like his fault. But, or it could be seen as his fault, and it's a very public thing, but um, surely the Sokovia Accords come into a you know, come into play there. I would assume he is registered, considering he was in Civil War and he was on Iron Man's side, then he would need to sign up, I would assume. Unless Tony's like, oh, actually, here's the exem- <laughs> the exemption to the rule kind of thing. Maybe he's too young to sign up. He's only 15. Yeah, like, officially he's not really on the team, but he does have the power, so you'd presume he would need to be on the register. I mean, I'm guessing tony is ironing out everything in the background during this film that you know the the damage and the destruction and everything he's going it's okay I've, i'm sorting it you know we're dealing with this it's fine well the, the delhi part uh, it's like damage control that are fixing it yeah which yeah, which he's up. partly involved in yeah. so you'd, you'd assume tony's in the background trying to smooth this over but you're right you would think I don't. Did the accords mean that they had to publicly give their name, like say, "I am," "Hello, I am," and no, you know, they. they said I think it the was just that they had secret. to be on the register, didn't they? Yeah, the list was secret. It was held at highest level of government, kind of thing. Um, it's the idea that, yeah, the idea the Avengers are held accountable by uh, to the government, so the go- you know they they work for the legitimate government, kind of thing, and Peter isn't an Avenger at this point, but I don't know, it just crossed my mind that maybe, you know, he's in breach of them and with, with Tony's say-so kind of thing, weirdly, but maybe he's not. Well, can I have mentioned, unless they've brought it up in S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't think any of this has been discussed at all because they haven't got any of the defenders to to reveal and sign themselves. It's just never come up. So yeah. at that low level, maybe the Accords haven't yet been able to to be applied yeah. and maybe that's a civil war in the form of the comics yeah. that we actually might see in the future maybe not maybe. high profile enough to, to have raised attention yet yeah well maybe that was Stark's way of getting around all the, the, the damage that Spider-Man had been partly responsible for he's like right what I'm going to do is I'm going to get him to join the team then it's all legit it's all an Avengers sanctioned mistake and uh and then when he doesn't sign up, it's like that. Oh, no, I've got to sort this myself. You know, something like that. But I don't know it was just a little thought. Between that and the neighborhood destruction that he did when he was out in the in the suburbs, and he, he manages to destroy a couple of fences, some tree houses, <laughs> uh, scare some kids in the, that garden. <laughs> you know, 
you, there, there would be a local news report of someone in a costume going about scaring people in their gardens yeah. <laughs> the next day, wouldn't there? Yeah, probably. The golf course, I particularly like when he swings onto the golf course and then he's got nothing else to swing off, so he's got to run through the sprinklers. Uh, I love that. I love showing that his powers are somewhat useless in non-built-up areas. It happens in DC as well. He's like got nothing to swing on, so he has to sit in the back of cars and things like that because he can't get anywhere. Yeah, his abilities are useless outside of Manhattan. There's a bit near the start where he misjudges his swing and crashes into the roof as well. Yeah, it's it's all little details like that. Um, so Spider-Man, the MCU, he's in it, but we don't know quite what his full place is yet. And I imagine we won't get a bigger picture of that until Infinity War, where what other characters think of him and so on. Um it's going to be a fine it's going to be a difficult balancing act. I wouldn't like to be the people that are writing Infinity War and the sort of the the as yet untitled next one, yeah. the next Avengers film. You know, it, it must be really difficult to try and balance everything out because we're going yeah. to need to have at this point you're going to need to have one hell of a villain at the other side to uh, to compete against. You know, can Thanos do it? Who knows? Yeah, and how how many other people is he going to need to, on his side to to help him out? Yeah, 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 just. Um, circling back a bit to his kind of his world and the other characters, um, I think we've said a lot about the supporting characters, uh, love interest. I mean, I think Liz had the potential to be more interesting than she actually is because of what she gets. I mean, she's that kind of generic love interest. And, and I quite like that the Peter doesn't quite get the girl in the end. That's a good one. You know, it's um, although it's weird that she agrees to go to the dance with him. That's, you know, it's a bit strange, but... Um, there it is. Uh, no one, no one's asked me the day before or the day of the dance. It pretty much seems to be. No one's yeah. asked me. I've been, I've been so busy organising everything and and doing it. No, no, not a soul in this entire school has thought to ask me yet. Uh, yeah, convenient that you happen to be out here with your hall pass. Uh, <laughs> imagine if we hadn't crossed, and then you wouldn't have found out who my dad is. Um, yeah. uh, I, I liked it. I liked the fact that she wasn't Mary Jane. She wasn't Gwen Stacy. They went for just we'll just throw someone else in there. Liz and, Allen, another character from the comics. Yeah, you know, we'll just, Liz we'll just Tombs, I suppose. We'll, we'll throw we'll throw this in, you know, we'll throw in Liz Tombs into the into the school and give him someone else to to sort of go over rather than it. I suppose it's their way yet again of going. Okay, we're going to do this different again. Yeah. Um, even um, Michelle is different from what you expect. You wouldn't sit there and instantly go, "Oh God, well that's that's Mary Jane, isn't it?" It's, uh, or at least I know I didn't. I think some people worked it out a lot quicker than I did. But um, well, I mean, she's not she's not Mary Jane. She's Michelle. You know, she's yeah. still Michelle. But uh, specifically, the MJ thing is a bit of a wink. Um, yeah. Whether she will actually turn out to be that that character for him or not, it's another story. Well, actually, this this really knocks me actually because I was reading online that um, Kevin Feige, the producer, said that. Mary Jones, who is an alt scene girl with a potential interest in Peter Parker, is not MJ. And it's like, you dick. What what have you done there? You've specifically brought on an MJ who fits the all the criteria of MJ, making her everything that could be the this new version of MJ and then you've explicitly said that she's not going to be MJ so now we're going to have to have another MJ come along in a massive coincidence sharing a lot of these 
other strange characteristics, it felt a bit like Lost saying, yeah, this other dimension that they're all caught in where they get to consider their past lives. No, it's not purgatory. It's really not purgatory. It's a different other dimension where they consider their past lives. And we've got the same thing where it's a really interesting character that would make an excellent MJ. Oh, but she's not MJ. Although it depends what, I mean, I read that same interview. I suppose it depends how you interpret what Kevin Feige said. Uh, he says that she isn't Mary Jane Watson, and she's not. That's not her name. But there's nothing to suggest that they will introduce a Mary Jane Watson in a future film. They may not. She may fill that role. Well, in that case, I'd like to retract everything I've said in the hope that he doesn't go down that route. Because if he's just said is not, if he's not Mary Jane Watson then that's good, because she is MJ. She is going to be the love interest. She effectively is MJ, but as Chris said, they've said they've made it something new and different, And yeah. because that's such a good idea, because she is a great character as she is, and there's no reason why she couldn't be, you know, Peter's school love interest. No, none at all. Um, or later love interest, I suppose. Um, after school, who knows. But... And, and Liz was kind of the bit of the distraction. She was all right, I think. Um, I think she could have done with a bit more. But I do like that Peter doesn't get the girl because that's part of his who he is. And she just kind of moves away and there's a lack of closure to the relationship. And, and she's just annoyed that he ducks out all the time. And she doesn't really think about why he might do that as well. Because, you know, people got their own problems uh, without thinking about what Peter's doing all the time. It's like when Michelle says, uh, where do you keep going all the time? And he's like, scrambling for an explanation she's like i actually don't care it's fine <laughs> yeah and uh, i like the characterization of flash thompson as well it's very different i mean he's still like athletic and stuff but he's not like you know he's not he's at a technical school so he's not your traditional jock type character but he's you know he's rich and he's quote unquote cool no, I, I like that. I thought it's it's, it's like I've been saying they've, they've they've taken it and they've done a little twist. Nothing that's sort of thrown it off the rails in any way. Nothing that makes it not Spider Man or not based on the comics. But they've just sort of tweaked it a little bit, and it it works. You know, they've made a universe that seems to clip together quite well, and gives you a set of characters that they can run with. Um, and yeah, we'll see where it goes. Hopefully, but the, all all the sort of background, uh, all the all the kids at the school, all the uh, the sort of side characters, all seem to be pretty well uh, developed. Even uh, Aunt May is a little bit different in this, and I, I like that. Yeah, it's funny with Aunt May. I was reading a, uh, where Marissa Tomei had said in an interview that if she'd known what Aunt May was in the comics, she would never have taken the role. There's, <laughs> this, there's always this kind of. It's a weird. There's a weird subtext to all the jokes around her. You know, it's like the idea of, ha everyone finds her attractive because she's supposed to be old. You know, it's like that kind of... There, there's almost that that underhanded reference behind everything, you know, where, uh, where she's given free stuff because she's apparently really hot, according to a lot of people. And, and it's, it, it's supposed to be funny because we as the audience, having seen Spider-Man movies, know that she's supposed to be an old lady kind of thing. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really funny. I mean, the one thing I, I seem to notice, uh, I don't know, maybe on a second viewing of that, I won't I won't notice it as much. But in, I'd probably need to watch a bit of Civil War actually to do it. But I'm sure in Civil War, they hadn't put this sort of aged makeup on her. It seems like they tried to do a half aging process on her 
before well, doing the film. She was wearing glasses yeah. in this one, yeah. Yeah, she was wearing glasses, but also the sort of makeup on her face and stuff had been had been done a bit. And I was like, well, I don't know why they need to do that. It's like the it, it seemed a bit unnecessary. Yeah. Well, if you look at the original comics, May, uh, when she was created, it was the 60s and she was in her 50s. But the 50s, in the, being in your 50s in the 60s is a lot older than it is now in terms of your your, your physical condition. Um, so the age gap between this version of Peter Parker and this version of Aunt May is exactly the same as it was originally. It's just with modern sensibilities. Um, she appears younger because 50's not that old now kind of thing. But yeah, was, I quite liked Aunt May in the film. I thought she was quite funny. She was a good foil for Peter, you know, she was, they, they they moved away from this, she's old and frail kind of thing, but she had her, and she was quite smart, she was, you know, she picked up on all the, the stuff that Peter was up to, and she was like, I know you do all this stuff, and I've left you alone for now, but, like, and then, obviously at the end she discovers the secret. Oh, one of the best, uh, one of the best closing lines in a Marvel film, I think, it just made me laugh and want to see the next scene, you know. <laughs> they almost dropped it. was one of those, it's like, yeah. I want, I want to, I want to see what happens next now. I want, to, I want to see that. I mean, I, I like the fact that she wasn't, she wasn't just spouting out, you know, sort of uh, quotes, you know, these these sort of things that you see uh, on Facebook, you yeah. know, these little sort of inspirational quotes and making cups of tea in the corner, you know. Oh, Peter, you look upset. Well, let me tell you, a nice little moral tale. <laughs> you know, it was like you didn't get that. It did seem that there was something missing that there were maybe scenes cropped out the the scene in the restaurant seemed to stand out a little bit it it wasn't that it seemed unnecessary but it seemed like there had been a greater purpose to it that had been lost later i didn't quite follow it as much another thing in that marissa tomei interview she talks about how um she does talk about how there were scenes cut that she enjoyed doing there was something about she helps a neighborhood kid or something like that who's been bullied Something like that. Um, she does something to help someone else, and it's it's the hint that Peter gets his common decency from her, you know. But um, I don't know, I don't know what we'd have added. I suppose the, there's yeah. But if if you sense that something was cut, and I do feel like there is something missing from May, as in she's just not there very often. And when she is there, she's kind of doing the same thing. She's always like, "Where were you?" or whatever. But she comes across as a genuinely concerned mother figure, you know, and. Um, and she's not talking about, I remember when your Uncle Ben used to say this, you know, my Uncle Ben ain't even mentioned, not once. Aaron, did you have any thoughts on May? Other than just to agree that she's she's not the character we're all used to. She's not being used as that, though. I'd have to assume that's purposeful, that they don't want to have a mother figure in at the moment because they've got such a strong father figure in in Tony Stark so maybe there was no real place for her to form the role that Aunt May normally would form as the provider of morality as Chris says so yeah. it, it's possible that she just had no place in the plot this was and I could believe that and inevitably I think he'll get how many films two, three, maybe she'll get a bigger role in those films because they won't want to have Tony in as this constant father figure so right. she might then step in later this could be just more of you know an introduction to her really and 
a fine introduction it was too because she did what she needed to do well enough and in both films she's been a tertiary character yeah uh, and done what was needed she did little then um, there was little kind of single parent problems that crept in you know she has to help him get ready for the dance and she can't tie a tie because that's usually the dad's job you know that kind of thing uh, it was well that's what I mean she's well established she did what she needed to do by being the as you say the parent on screen uh wasn't involved in any of the deep emotional stuff, but they did well to show that she has a believable parental, if very modern, uh, parental role. Uh, and you, and you, you could understand that they have a good connection and believe that they were a caring family unit. And I, yeah. So I, that, w- that was done well. It, it wasn't any more than that in terms of the rest of the plot, but what it was, it was done well. And when she gives them a lift to Lizzie's party, um, Peter's nervous about going in and she embarrasses him so he has to leave you know it's, it's the way she's kind of pushing him into taking more risks with his life I quite like that uh, well more social risks maybe not like running into burning buildings or what have you but it's the you know the idea she's trying to prepare him to be more social and uh, it was, again it was a very small thing but this film uh, this film rises on its small things I think more than anything else You know, it's like Hank Scorpio says in The Simpsons, it's the little things that make up life. And, uh, yeah, it's the little things in this film that, that make it what it is. So, I think we've covered pretty much everything. Um, does anyone have any final thoughts? I mean, we, we close off in a kind of declarative statement. Um, Chris, do you have a, a final position on this film? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I think it was a great introduction to this version of uh, Spider-Man and this version of Peter Parker. Uh, like I said at the beginning, I think the um, I think the the sort of integration with the MCU was done really, really well. It's where the character should have been when the MCU was created. It should have been there. I kind of cheated that we've not had the character in there before now, but. Um, yeah, no, I, I I really enjoyed it. It's definitely worth seeing. It's it's up there within my. Well, I said at the beginning my top six of Spider-Man films, but it's definitely very high within that, and it's actually pretty high within my, my favourite films within the Marvel uh, universe so far. Cool, Aaron. It's it's a very different film to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man that I still really like. There's a, there's a few scenes in there that. I, I don't think Homecoming tops. So if I had to pick my favourite scenes, I might actually still go back to the Tobey Maguire stuff, but that Spider-Man doesn't fit in with the Marvel Universe. This one really does. And given that it also gives us the teen Peter Parker, teenage Peter Parker, which is something that is so well done in Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, then... Overall, I probably still preferred this film. Its background in the MCU is so well established with all that rich material that's come with all the films before you can really feel it. And and I, I, I still can't put my hand on what I think is a bit odd about the diversity, cultural diversity in, in the cast. Uh, but despite that, all the characters were really good in their plot and delivery. And I'm, I was so pleased with the ending 
where he tries to... The final thing between him and the villain is where he tries to save the villain's life and succeeds, which is such a a departure from your standard battle and in such a way that defines him as a creature of trying to do the right thing that it feels like it was a really important Spider-Man, a good Spider-Man, one that was reflective of everything that is that you, you want to see, even if it was done in a different way. And given that they managed to do everything in a different way, given that there's been five Spider-Man films and a whole shared load of cartoons that have, to, to build upon, and that in itself is quite the marvel. Quite the marvel. I see what you did there. I did. I did that on purpose, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, I'd agree. I, I really liked this. Uh, it was actually a better, a better film on second viewing to me. I don't know why it just was. Um, it jumped out at me a bit more. I think in the, the canon of Spider-Man films, Spider-Man Two is still the best for me. Uh, this film kind of suffers for. Well, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't do very much that's you know that I dislike and the kind of the suit, the Iron Man suit thing. That's a. That's a more personal thing. It's it's not bad, it's just I have trouble with it. Um, I didn't find the action sequences anywhere near as memorable as anything in Spider-Man 2. You know, I'll remember that train sequence for the rest of my life because um, it's just so well done. There's nothing quite like that here. Um, but yeah, I like this version of Peter Parker. I like the him being in the MCU. Um, I do I, I agree with you, Chris. I think Spider-Man should have been in here long before now. And the Andrew Garfield version would have been great to see in the MCU, I think. Just seeing Andrew Garfield bouncing off everybody. But nothing wrong with this version. Tom Holland's a great find. He's he's really good in the role. He's clearly having a lot of fun with it. And, um, yeah, good villain. Um, solid characterisation. It's very good. It's Spider-Man and for a new generation. You know, I'm no longer a teenager and haven't been for a long time, but I can see teenagers looking at this film and thinking yep this is something i can get behind so yeah all good on to the next one spider-man will return as they keep saying on that note uh, we should wrap up thank you as always for attending uh to talk about spider-man and the mcu and everything else that we got onto thank you very much bye bye Bye-bye. There you have it, our discussion on Spider-Man Homecoming. A special thanks to YouTubers 331ERock and nstens1117 for the supplied music. If you like what you heard, then please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app, and join us on the next Neil Before Pod. (laughs) 